Today on Ag News Daily. You know, we met Gail Stratman uh, of FMC at the Row Crop Exchange, an event that Extreme Ag went to in Fort Myers, Florida in January of 2021. And they were excited because Zyway was a new product that they were bringing to the marketplace. Happy Wednesday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined here by Delaney Howell. Today's episode is brought to you by Zyway Brand Fungicides by FMC. Delaney, I'm really excited to talk with you today. My week has been a bit wonky. I feel like they always are, so I probably should stop saying that. But, you know, I was out yesterday, was doing traveling yesterday and on Monday. So it's been a whirlwind, definitely playing a game of catch up today, but I'm glad to be back. We're glad to have you back, Ashton, especially since I am hitting the road today, sitting in my truck, currently recording today's podcast. So if you're hearing any background noise, I apologize. I am pulled over and parked. I am heading to Minnesota later this afternoon, Hutchinson, Minnesota, to be more specific, to talk to a group, crop insurance group, and their annual crop insurance meeting. We're going to talk about commodity markets and crop insurance. And obviously this year's spring price hasn't been set yet. That's still going to be set this month. And we could potentially see a record high crop insurance price set this year, Ashton. So it's certainly an important time to be paying attention to these factors if you are in row crop farming. Delaney, every time you talk about the events that you go and speak out, which are plenty, and you have a, a bunch on the list this spring, I always feel like I'm talking to a celebrity of sorts. <laughs> I don't know that I'm a celebrity, but I appreciate that. But I actually really like doing these events. I'm actually going to start six weeks of travel starting today. So I might be reporting from different places over the next six weeks for our listeners. But I love going to these events because you know, agriculture is the same in a lot of ways, but it's also very different. And it's interesting to hear about different localized events that are impacting farmers in different places throughout the country. And it's also just interesting to hear about production in their neck of the woods. But while we're speaking about a localized event, Ashton, this piece of news broke out this morning and I saw some folks tweeting about it. And so I wanted to make sure our listeners were aware there's a Louis Dreyfus company location in Claypool, Indiana, where a lot of soybean processing and biodiesel takes place, that had a fire that broke out Tuesday and has affected different systems. Now, I was reading on Twitter because basically this producer in that area said, what am I supposed to do when my soybean facility shut down and I've still got soybeans to haul. So from all accounts, it does sound like this was a pretty minor fire. Thankfully, no employees were injured last night. I think this fire was put out by about 9.15 p.m., started around 8 p.m. in the bag house. But producers, I was reading this Twitter thread and producers that are local to the area said that um Deliveries had still continued. He dumped two loads today and then got told after that second load to not come back the rest of the day, but things should be up and running again by tomorrow. So it does sound like they do have short-term suspension deliveries, which could slow production, but sounds like they should hopefully be back up and running tomorrow and accepting sweeping deliveries again. However, this plant may take a little bit of time to get back up to where they were running prior to the fire. They're running at about 92% 
and processing about 175,000 bushels of soybeans a day for various products, biodiesel, soy meal, et cetera. So there might be a little bit of a ramp up period there for them to get back up and running, but hopefully isn't going to have a large impact on deliveries in that area. Well, Delaney, I'm glad that you're saying that they should be back up here pretty soon because I was under the impression that they weren't going to be doing deliveries. They had suspended that production system and that it was going to really slow down production of soy meal and biodiesel at this facility. And I think it's important to note that this Claypool facility is the largest fully integrated soybean processing and biodiesel plant in the U.S. So if they were to shut down for an extended period of time, especially during this season of high demand, it really wouldn't be good news, especially since we've seen maintenance shutdowns at plants in Iowa and Minnesota here in recent months. And that's contributed to a lot of different things when it comes to the supply chain and whatnot. So I'm glad that you had a little bit of light to shed on the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like there are other facilities that are still accepting soybeans in the area. There's apparently a Cargill facility that's very close in that neck of the woods as well. But this definitely could impact basis in that local area. And hopefully we can see an update tomorrow. But yeah, from what I'm reading so far, it sounds like they're going to be accepting deliveries tomorrow. May not be full capacity. There might be a limit on how many deliveries they can accept. And we still don't know the extent of the damage where any soybeans actually lost. So there are still some question marks there. But speaking of question marks, Ashton, there are going to be question marks next to Paraguay soybean production. Reuters is reporting that Paraguay is estimated to lose over half their soybean production and will run out of soybeans this year due to a lot of different factors, but weather being a large one there. And as a frame of reference, Paraguay, I didn't realize this, is actually the third largest producer of soybeans in South America and the fourth largest producer in the world. I think the other four, of course, would be the U.S., Argentina, Brazil, and then Paraguay. So that could certainly change some things on the global demand, supply and demand side of things, as well as this quick piece of news I wanted to share as well. It was reported today by Successful Farming slash Reuters that China could cut soybean demand by 30 million tons. As we know, China has been consistently looking for ways to improve their competitiveness on the marketplace. And China issued guidelines last year recommending the reduction of soy meal and corn in pig and poultry feed as it sought to reduce its dependence on imported grain and other countries. Well, China's official news agency, Xin, I'm going to not pronounce this correctly, but Xin, Xin Wei, I'm, this is how I'm going to say it, uh, reported that China officials, Chinese officials are suggesting that soybean demand will be reduced by 30 million tons this year, which would be a large shift in supply and demand. Now, we've already been seeing them get to this point of less dependency on world markets. The portion of soy meal and feed has dropped an average about 15.3% last year and down about 2.5% the year before. So they have been moving towards this reduced dependency on soy meal already, uh, but this certainly doesn't come as a great piece of news for supply and demand as we look at other world markets that we're trying to compete with to 
export soybeans. Delaney, you know, you reported yesterday on Bayer's announcement about glyphosate, and I think that that had a lot of people questioning what's going to happen this planting slash growing season. And of course, we've been talking a ton about input prices and people having difficulty sourcing those here lately. So for the 2022 season, we have some data here that says that 57% of producers are having difficulty sourcing their inputs for the upcoming season. And which of those inputs are having the hardest time, you may ask? 86% are having trouble with herbicides, 63% are having trouble with fertilizer, and then at the bottom we have 17% with fungicide and 18% with insecticide. So of course the, the largest two being herbicides and fertilizer, and I don't think that this comes as a surprise, but now we have some numbers to back that up, and I just wanted to bring that to your attention, Delaney, as we're really rounding the corner here, gearing up for planting season. Yeah, 53% is a big number of folks dealing with supply chain issues. Certainly is, Delaney. And something else that I definitely wanted to talk about today is the farm bill. We've had a couple of conversations so far on what's ahead for the farm bill and really what's going to be a priority here. But now we have seen NASDA CEO Ted McKinney say that trade promotion will be a focus of the organization moving forward with the farm bill. Now, this is quite a lengthy quote, but I think that it gives us a, a little bit more insight to what McKinney and NASA are thinking. But he was quoted as saying, the states have an enormous role in trade promotion. You need not look further than the 30 years of the Tri-National Accord, where the provinces of Canada, states of the U.S., and states of Mexico come together. We're working on serious stuff. We have a working committee of several states in Mexico, two of the provinces in Canada, and eight states in the U.S., working on the acute problem of no pesticide registrations or biotech registrations south of the border in Mexico, a problem now and soon to get much worse. And then conservation and climate resiliency are other top priorities for NASDA. And some other policy areas include animal disease, ag research, cybersecurity, food safety, hemp, invasive species, local food systems, and specialty crop block grants. And McKinney unveiled the priorities during the NASDA winter policy meeting yesterday. And he says that commissioners, secretaries, and directors of agriculture provide a unique perspective when we're looking ahead to the farm bill. So just a, a couple of things that we're going to be seeing come up here. I say pretty soon. We're only in February of 2022, but we're just going to keep having more conversations like this as the year goes on, I think. We certainly are because the farm bill is the next one's right around the corner, Ashton. It really is, Delaney. And it's hard to believe that we're already talking about something for 2023. I haven't even gotten used to writing 2022 on all of my papers and stuff like that. So kind of just blows my mind that we're really looking that much ahead to the future. Oh, we certainly are. And speaking of looking ahead to the future, I mentioned a third party report yesterday about ethanol and the potential impact it has on the climate which was not well received by the ag community. Well, here's another report that definitely won't be received well either. This report was put together by the Environmental Working Group, which we do know is uh, they have their political leanings. I won't get into all of that and have not always been the most 
supportive of the ag industry, but they put out a report stating Wisconsin doesn't have enough land for all of their animal manure. They said that in nine counties, animal manure is overapplied to farmland, exacerbating rural Wisconsin's water quality struggles. And according to this recent report, four counties applied manure at more than 50% above the recommended rate recommended by University of Wisconsin researchers. And there were, like I said, a bunch of different areas included in this, but nine counties really where they found over application of manure. And as you look at water quality, they said that water quality in those counties has declined. And the report pointed to over 1,500 miles of streams, rivers, and 33 lakes in the nine counties as being assessed as, quote unquote, impaired due to what they're saying, agricultural related pollution. What's more that they said in their report was there wasn't enough land to handle all of that waste. So certainly was not received well by the ag community. And they didn't really give any indication as to what their next steps would be, whether that was legislation to try and control manure handling or if they would petition the courts or farmers, but that is certainly potentially coming down the pipeline for Wisconsin livestock producers in particular. Delaney, I just have one piece of news here, and I honestly took it as a grain of salt when I first saw it because I did get this piece of news from TikTok initially. I have to admit <laughs> that. But, you know, when I'm scrolling on TikTok, sometimes I'll get some accounts that'll show up on my For You page that are like, top 10 world news stories you missed out on today. And sometimes I feel like it's clickbait. And I did stay initially because the first piece of news was, you know, a, a group of birds just falling from the sky in Mexico. They just fell from the sky onto the ground. And obviously I was a little intrigued by that because they probably got what they deserve because they are birds once, once again. But um, you know, the next piece of news that followed that is that Canada says that it would be freezing bank accounts of Freedom Convoy truckers. And I thought this was a bit interesting. I didn't really do a whole lot of research following up on that because I it just it really honestly slipped my mind until this very moment. But yes, I don't know how they have the power to do that. I don't know if this is actually something that leaders are considering doing in Canada, but you know, the, the trucker crackdown is intensifying up there. And it just makes me wonder what we're really going to see next from Canadian leadership as well as Canadian truckers. Ashton, actually, I'm really glad you brought this up because I was sent a story about this by a friend. It was a news story that she sent my way because she knew that I potentially was going to be maybe traveling to Canada here in the next month or so. And it is certainly interesting. So this is the first time in history that the Emergencies Act has been used. And Justin Trudeau is basically trying to say that they are going to freeze the bank account of Canadians participating in this protest. And I think he went as far as to say basically that they are terrorists uh, terrorizing the government, the country. And so they said that as of today, this was yesterday, I believe this came out, a bank or other financial service provider basically could freeze the assets of these potential people involved. And a lot of people are obviously upset by this. Um, however, I talked to my Canadian contact there and he said that this trucker group is, again, a very small percentage of truckers and the mainstream trucker groups 
I guess, kind of similar to a commodity organization, have basically denounced these truckers that are on strike and protesting. So it is certainly an interesting response by Prime Minister Trudeau enacting this Emergencies Act, but it is entirely true from what I am seeing and reading in the news, Ashton. Well, Delaney, I haven't read or seen anything really about the markets for today, so I'm ready to hop into that, but only after we hear from today's sponsor, FMC. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Well, Ashton, we certainly had a turnaround today here on Wednesday afternoon to close the markets higher in grains after we saw two lower days on Monday and Tuesday this week. It does appear the grains have shaken off whatever was scaring them there in the short term. March corn today closed up nine cents to close at 647. Dece new crop corn up four cents, closing at 593 and three quarters. Soybeans today had big moves to the upside, not quite clawing their way back to earlier week losses this week, but I think they're pretty dang close. March soybeans up 36 and a quarter cent today, closing at 1587 and a half. November up 23 and a half cents, closing at 1455 and a half. Chicago wheat had just small movements to the upside today as the March contract added three quarters of a cent, closing at 780 and a half. May up a half a penny, settling the day at 786 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at livestock today, we saw mixed trade today in the cattle complex. April live cattle added two pennies, closing at 146.92. The June up 12 and a half cents, closing at a buck 42.2. In feeder cattle, this is where the weakness played out today. March gave up $1.27, closing the day at 167.45. April down 37.5 cents, closing at 172.17. And in lean hogs today, the April contract up $1.25, closing at a buck oh five. The May up $1.15, settling at 109.15. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. March today down 67 and a half cents to close at 22.30. The April down 46 cents, closing the day out at 22.75. And Ashton, we've been recording a ton of great interviews over the past week or so. Today's interview is sponsored by FMC, chatting with Kelly Garrett of Extreme Ag. Well, folks, we're chatting today with Kelly Garrett of Extreme Ag. You may follow along with him on social media, see some of the things he puts out there. Obviously, he's also a full-time farmer, but Kelly, you're a busy guy, so we appreciate you squeezing us in today. Oh, that's no problem. Thanks for having me. So, Kelly, before we chat a little bit about some of the products that you use as a full-time farmer, talk to us a little bit about your background farming and also doing what you do with Extreme Ag. I farm in Crawford County in western Iowa. We live about nine miles west of Denison. My wife, Amber, and I farm with my mom and dad, Jean and Kathy. We have three sons, Connor, Colin, and Cale. They are 22, 21, and 18. Connor uh, graduated Iowa State in the spring with a degree in agronomy. He's on the farm full-time. 
Colin is a junior at Iowa State in animal science, and Kale is a freshman at Iowa State in egg studies. We farm about 7,000 acres. We have 500 cows, a beef cow herd, cow-calf operation, and we also have a trucking company that uh, we pull tankers, and we work for Feed Energy out of Des Moines, Iowa, uh, hauling ingredients for them, and then we use their byproduct from their liquid feed company as our main source of fertilizer. So it's a diverse operation or a little bit of an anomaly with our with the soil amendment fertilizer product that we get from Feed Energy. Keeps us busy. Yeah, no kidding. And it's obviously, you know, you've got three boys. Uh, hopefully they're all going to come back or have an interest in being involved in the farm and in agriculture. But talk to us a little bit about what extreme ag was and how did you build that? Extreme Egg started with the idea of Kevin Matthews. He uh, he noticed that when he was speaking, that the hits on his Matthews Family Farms website went up. And he actually thought about just start charging a subscription to his website, putting his meeting notes and some different fertilizer things, trials that he did on his website. And, um, and then another agronomist that I was working with at the time, a, a man named Steve Kilpack, talked about starting a group that Kevin and I were would be involved with and doing it. So, you know, the two ideas just kind of morphed into one. And we all got to know each other at uh, at the Ag PhD Field Day in Baltic, South Dakota with Brian and Darren Hefty. We, you know, we owe them a lot. We wouldn't be together without them. But Kevin and Lee and Matt and Chad and I all got to know each other, speaking up there and being involved in the first step trial program up there, helping educate farmers. And we all got to be friends and like to do things together. And Extreme Ag just grew out of that relationship, that friendship. That's awesome. It's always fun to see the different connections. And, you know, you meet people on Twitter and then someday, hopefully you meet them in real life. And it's just interesting how uh, businesses and partnerships and relationships work out in today's world. But I'm guessing working with agronomists and being a full-time farmer, having a son who went to school for agronomy, you get to try a lot of different products including the Zyway LFR fungicide, which we'll talk about here in just a second. But I wanted to ask first, as you're going about evaluating different products to use on your farm, what kind of decisions are you making? and What kind of factors are you looking at? You know, with Extreme Ag, we have a lot of, you know, we call them partners, the different companies that we work with, and they bring us products to try. And this year, our success rate, our win rate on trials was very high. You know, and we, we almost have a concern at times that we're going to sound like an infomercial, but, you know, we don't always know what's going to work and what doesn't. And we believe, we were just talking about this last night, we believe that our win rate has gone up so much because between the five of us all across the country, there's not many things we haven't seen. So when a new product become, when a new product comes to us, you know, or, or becomes of interest to one of us, we we uh, always have a discussion about it, and we kind of know what we should try and what we shouldn't. You know, it's it, because somebody will have tried something else that's very similar, and it did work or didn't work. So we're easy, we're able to vet the product much more than we were at the beginning, or much more than we would if we were on our own. And yeah, we do we do a lot of trials. It, it takes a lot of time. And uh, Mike Evans and Mike Wingrove, the agronomist I have here at this farm, and my son Connor and and Richie uh, that works for us. A tremendous amount of trials to try these products. And I, I mean, Extreme Ag has made my farm more successful because of the trial work that we do, because we learn what works and what doesn't. And 
it, you know, all the way down to the Zyway. It, uh, what a, the return we had from the Zyway was tremendous. And I was surprised how, how much the return was. Well, Kelly, let's take a quick pause here before we get to my next question. I wanted to take a quick moment to hear specifically from FMC. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that return. What made you to decide to try this product in the first place? You know, we met Gail Stratman uh, of FMC at the Row Crop Exchange, an event that Extreme Ag went to in Fort Myers, Florida in January of 2021. And they were excited because Zyway was the new product that they were bringing to the marketplace. And, you know, putting a, having a fungicide around all year to protect the corn, putting it in the, you know, in, down in the furrow, we thought that that was very exciting technology. Um, you know, it, it was $16 an acre, I believe, for us. That was an exciting price point compared to other fungicides that we had used. And, and so we started forward with it, you know, and then uh, uh, Matt and Kevin tried it first. You know, they had a little bit of stand issue problems with it in furrow. I moved it to the two by two and holy cow, we knocked it out of the park. That's phenomenal to hear results like that. And you always got to ask yourself as a farmer, you know, the, there's not a lot of ways to increase profitability, you know, with outside factors of things you can't control, you know, commodity markets, you obviously can't control that. So increasing yield or decreasing input costs are kind of the two ways that farmers really have day to day to control those costs. When you look at the ROI behind this product, talk to us about what you saw for the 2021 growing season. We produced 26.74 bushels. You know, if you just take 26 times five, that's $130 for a $16 input. I mean, it's, you know, it, you know, it's, it was well over $120 net ROI per acre. Uh, super excited about it. Uh, we've ordered quite a bit of it going forward for next year. And I mean, when you can improve your ROI 120 bucks, especially with these tight margins, you know, corn, corn and bean prices are very high, obviously, but so are input prices. And when I can have a net ROI improvement of 120 bucks, that's a game changer. You don't find those things very often. Yeah, you certainly don't. And I'm curious, um, last year in 2021, you don't need to give up acreage because I know that can be proprietary for guys, but across your corn rotation, uh, how much of your acres were, did you use this Zyway product on? This last year, it was only on, you know, we have 370 irrigated acres, which is our research acres. And we only use the Zyway on the research acres, you know, because that's, that's one of the things about extreme ag that we do. We, um, we try a product for one, maybe two years before we'll take it all the way across all the acres. So looking at the return, I wish I had taken it on, on many more acres, but we just used it on a couple hundred acres this year. Again, 370 acres of irrigation, they're split between corn and beans. And that, that very much is, it's all research. And then if it works, we'll, we'll take it to the rest of the farm. And, and I assure you with that kind of return, it's going to be on all the corn acres this next year. Okay. So you are going to use it on your entire 2022 corn acres. Uh, well, 
the only reason, the only acres that won't be on are the research acres for next year. If there's another trial that we need to do with some other fungicide, you know, uh, working around. But my my normal production, it will have Zyway on. Absolutely. Kelly, I think the other good question to ask is, you know, as you look back at 2021 and the acres you did apply, those research acres you applied the Zyway brand fungicide to, what did you see throughout the growing season as you were using the product? Well, you know, with the with the issues that happened in the southern United States, we were paying close attention to it. And when the corn was coming up, the corn was green, everything looked normal. You couldn't really see much difference in it at all. It was just, it was all there. And I'm I w- watching it. I, I kept looking for a difference. I kept looking for a problem and just nothing occurred. And then when the corn started to dry down and, and the, the, specifically one field was down, you know, the, you know, the hills in Western Iowa. So the, the road is up on the hill and this field is down on a brick bottom half mile off the road across the pasture and I could see this field and observe it very well just driving by and all of a sudden one day the corn starts to dry down and turn colors except where the trial area was and it was green and so then we checked the maps and sure enough that was the Zyway area we started to become very excited at that point because of the stay green of the corn and then we watched it all the time and uh, I couldn't wait to harvest it because I was so excited to see what was going to happen because you knew well, I shouldn't say you knew, but I was very confident that there was going to be a yield benefit just based on the color of the corn and how much longer it stayed green. And, you know, you don't really ever truly have any silver bullets in your lineup, but it sounds like this product uh, might be pretty dang close, at least from what you've seen here in year one. Well, that's true. There aren't any silver bullets, but I feel like every farmer myself included, is always trying to figure out a way to get more fertility into the plant to push yields higher. And Mike Evans, the agronomist that I work with, thinks that we have enough fertility now that we should be 100 or 125 bushel higher than we are. And Mike's a pretty conservative guy, so that was a pretty profound statement to me because he's not going to throw things around like that very just very easily. So I started to think about that. And then the things I've observed this year it was hot and dry. We had a couple other stress mitigation trials along with our Zyway trial. And to use the term silver bullet, you know, that's that's kind of dangerous. It is. it is a little bit true in this area because I think that we're looking at things from the wrong angle. A lot of farmers have a decent amount of fertility, but I don't think we understand as farmers. I didn't understand the full effect of it till this year. I maybe still don't, but plant health and plant stress is the silver bullet that you speak of. And if I can make the plant healthier, if I can make the plant um, happier, you know, take the stress off of it, I think that our fertility will take us higher than we've been without putting more fertility on. Especially a year like this year with high input prices, I think stress mitigation, be it plant health or or heat stress, I I think that I think that's the silver bullet you need to look at. Zyway is a big part of it for us. Yeah, you're absolutely right there with higher input costs this year and farmers may be turning to some alternative solutions to deal with uh, mitigating that cost is certainly going to be an interesting challenge this year. But Kelly, we certainly appreciate your time today. We'll hopefully have you on again sometime in the future and chat a little bit more about what you see across your travels and dealing with extreme ag. But thanks again so much for joining today. Bet. I'd be happy to be on anytime. You just let me know. Thank you.
Thanks again there to you, Kelly and FMC for sponsoring today's podcast. Definitely enjoyed hearing a little bit more from Kelly about the Zyway brand fungicides by FMC. But we are going to continue to talk about fungicides, input costs, and all those things as we're really approaching planting season here, Delaney. So folks can tune in at agnewsdaily.com while they're on the tractor. With that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.